Today the sermon is entitled A Great Way of Life and it's coming from the, the series we're doing here is in 2 Timothy. Verse 10 says this, you however know all about my teaching, my way of life. I, I saw that my way of life and it jumped out at me. And that's why I call this a great way of life. Now, we've talked about his purpose and his teaching. This verse mentions those two things. But I want to talk about the other characteristics this week and zero in on what was such a great way of life that Paul lived that, that made life an impactful life. Now remember, he's about to die. He's a few days to a few weeks away from death here. They're going to kill him because he's a believer. He's going to be martyred. He's sharing a testimony with a young man, Timothy, who has traveled with him for 15 years. You can't fake out people that have been close to you for 15 years. If your life doesn't match up with what you say, they know. Timothy knows that what Paul is telling him is absolutely true, that he had been faithful. And here's what he said. You, you know about my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. Timothy knew that this guy had actually done what he was saying. He had been a great example for all who were watching him. I like this, and you've heard me say it over and over again. As a matter of fact, someday in 10 or 20 years, when I, when I leave here as pastor, um, I, I hope you remember this as one of the things I said on a regular basis. People would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. And, and that is what was happening with Paul. Not only was he teaching, but his life was showing. And the goal of our lives should be to show Jesus Christ in such a way that, that people who are watching would see a real faith and want to follow Jesus themselves. That's what we're going to talk about today, a great way of life. I want to pray first. Father, come and lead us. Lord, we, we like the word, we love the word, but, but it's your Holy Spirit that brings the word to life. So come Holy Spirit and quicken this to our hearts. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So let's jump right into what he said here. The way of life and again, I mentioned that the teaching and purpose we've been going over with his, with his life here in the last few weeks. So I want to center in on this way of life with those four things that follow that. And the first was this faith, a life with faith. If you want to live a great way of life, then live life by faith in God. That's what Paul did. Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, that's a good read sometimes if you just want to get built up a little bit. Go to Hebrews 11 and just read that whole chapter and it'll put some faith in your heart. It says this, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Do you know there'll be times that God puts something in your heart that you won't be able to see that he'll want you to believe him for? Well, I wanna use a couple of old illustrations. I, I might have heard this first when I was just uh, a teenager, but it, it, it brings something to, to life about faith faith. Have you heard the one about a famous tightrope walker who stretches a rope across the Niagara Falls and he walks tight, he's a tightrope walker. He uses that skill to walk from Canada side to the American side. And when he gets on the American side, he grabs a wheelbarrow and he's about to go back and he yells out, who here believes that I can take this wheelbarrow across the tightrope? And one man yells out, I believe. And he says, then get in the wheelbarrow. And the man did not get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> did you know there'll be times in your life where God will ask you to get in the wheelbarrow? It won't make any sense to you. It'll feel pretty dangerous to you. 
there'll be risk involved. And you know, risk is a word that you could associate pretty close to faith. Because if there's no risk, then there's no reason to have faith. If there's no reason to doubt, there's no reason for faith. So risk and doubt will come into your mind when God says, get in sometimes. Now there's lots of ways to confirm it. You just don't want some bozo telling you God said. But when you're reading the word and there's confirmation in your life and the spirit of God is quickening your heart, all these circumstances can lead you to a place where you're pretty sure God's saying, get in and go. It'll happen. How about the way it happened in Abraham's life? It was by faith that Abraham, it says in Hebrews 11, 8, obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as in his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. That's an interesting thought. This is the father of, uh, of, of faith it, it mentions in the Bible, Abraham, the, the, who meant so much to our faith in the Bible by his example as he lived for God. And he didn't know where he was going, he just knew God was calling him. God will do that to you sometimes. The great thing about it is if you'll follow him in the great adventure, it's, it's the best life ever. There's just no better life than following God and fulfillment will take place in your life, fruit will take place, and joy will be in your heart. How about this illustration, another old illustration about the young man who's traveling along hiking. He slips, falls down a steep precipice, a cliff, he grabs a branch about 30 foot below the top of that trail. He's all by himself and he's stuck. He looks down, it's hundreds of feet, certain peril if he falls, he'll die. So he yells out up top, is there anyone up there? Please help, help. And a booming voice yells down, this is God. I will save you if you believe in me. And the young man thought, I'll believe, I'll believe. Just tell me what to do. And God said, let go of the branch and I will save you. There's quiet for a moment, and the young man said, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> Sometimes God will cause you to let go. He'll tell you, let go of something. Some of you who are dating, your heart is broken when a relationship doesn't take place, but oh, 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 I'm telling you, some of God's best gifts are unanswered prayers. Some of the things we want are the things that will hurt us the most or not really where he wants us to go. In all the circumstances of life, where it's job, location, ministry, there are times that God will say, let go. And listen, here's when he says, let go. If God says, let go, he just has something else that's better. He has something that will bring fruit, something that will be amazing, something that, that will bring about very good productivity. And at times, he'll just say, let go. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. You know, drugs come to my mind here for just a moment. When a body is, a, is addicted, I've heard uh, that an addiction to a drug will put you in a place where you, you, it's, it's almost like you can't breathe. You need it so bad. And God will call people to let go of alcohol when, when there's an addiction that's taking place in their life and not to have anything to do with it. After all, if that's a major weakness in your life, it makes good sense that you shouldn't touch it, right, or get around it. 
It really does. That's why I don't, want, I don't drink alcohol at all. The reason I don't is I don't ever want someone to have to feel pressured around me or to stumble and fall because of me. And that's just my conviction and where I'm at. But I, I just don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. And, and God, God tells you to let go of things like that. And some people think, well, I need this. And they have this dependence and it makes me feel good. But letting go of that, I mean, this makes perfect sense, doesn't it? There's so much more on the other side. There's life and joy and, and people can depend on you and you can be there to love them and it doesn't steal you away. And when God says let go, letting go is the best thing. Sometimes when we let go of something, he's saying take hold of something else. And did you know even spiritual people can get headed in the wrong direction? I mean, really spiritual people can be headed the wrong direction with good intentions. Luckily, God in his great love for us will help us find the best way even when we're headed the wrong way. But we have to have hearts to listen, not to lean on our understanding, but to, but to seek his heart and his will and he'll show us. And then when, when, when we hear, we have to follow. I love this example of Paul. And this is the man who wrote this passage in 2 Timothy. He's about to die and he's telling Timothy, you've watched my faith. You've seen how I've moved when God has spoken. Acts 16 is an example. Paul again writes, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Here's a really spiritual guy who was going a direction and Jesus wouldn't let him go there. That happens to us too. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, that's another country, standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's a guy who is a spiritual dude, and he's headed somewhere with good intentions. After all, he's gonna preach the gospel in Mysia too. And yet Jesus wouldn't let him go there because there's a good thing to do, and then there's the perfect will of God to do for our lives. He gives us specific calls and direction and timing for things. And luckily, this guy was realizing that Jesus was resisting his movement into one country. And that night, the Lord spoke to him in a dream and he realized, I'm supposed to go to another direction. He goes over to Macedonia and has great success in ministry. Faith means that when God speaks, we change directions. Even when it doesn't make sense, we let go of something that was in our head or our heart and we take hold of the thing that he's saying to take hold of. Paul was faithful in his life to follow God. He exercised faith when God spoke and he said to Timothy, I need you to do that now. I'm gonna die, but it's your turn. Be faithful. The geyser at Yellowstone National Park that's the most famous in all the world is Old Faithful. Did you know uh, it's, it's not the largest geyser at Yellowstone? nor does it reach the highest height. It's only famous for one reason, and that's that it goes off on a regular basis, on a regular time, and tourists can come and see it with regularity. Faithfulness made that geyser popular and famous. When our lives are lived in a faithful way towards the Lord, over the long haul, our lives will have impact. People will see 
and want to follow Christ because of faithfulness. It happened in Paul's life. It'll happen in your life. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, again, Paul says, you know how he lived among you for your sake. So here again is this great way of life to live, this faith. He lived it among people. But he did it not only for his sake, but for the sake of those that were watching. For your sake. And when we live by faith, others are watching and they desire to follow Christ as well. A life lived by faith and in faithfulness will bless everyone who comes in contact with it. A great way of life is to live by faith. Paul was showing Timothy with his life and then telling him, now your turn. Second thought that comes from this passage in verse 10, verse 10 rather, a life of patience. My way of life, my purpose, faith, and then it says patience. Now this word patience in the Greek means specifically with people. It's kind of interesting. It's, there's a patience around circumstances, which I'll speak of in a moment. But, but this is patience with people. Here's a good question for us. Why are we so hard on others, but so easy on ourselves? If we want to live a life of impact, we have to be focused on patience. Because people who are patient with others are people that others want to listen to, be around, and learn from. People who aren't patient aren't a good example of the Lord, nor do people want to be around them on a regular basis. I was with my son just recently, and we met um, a woman who was speaking English as a second language, and she kind of struggled when she was talking to us. And when we left, I, I meant to say it better, but here's what I said to Aaron. She doesn't talk English very good. Aaron said, yeah, she doesn't speak it very well either. <laughs> Not to mention it was her second language and my first. <laughs> we see others' flaws, but we don't realize our own at times. And patience just would have us um, be caring and understanding for everyone. Everyone. I was uh, in the office several years ago with Pastor John, and I noticed he had a big piece of white fuzz on his face. And I didn't say anything for a little bit, and finally, it was just bugging me. And I said, John, you got this deal. And so he, you know, picked it off there and said, oh, oh. And a couple minutes later, I'm walking around the office, look down and realize my zipper is wide open. <laughs> Funny how we see others' little flaws, but we don't realize ours, you know. Proverbs 14, 29. I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, 2. Let's go there first. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I remember a few years ago, actually many years ago, um, I was a speaker at a youth camp and I got out there with the kids, which I, I love to do, playing basketball. And there was a college player there, and he was just banging me and hitting me hard. And I thought, all right, bring it on. You know, that sort of thing that, that can kick in. And it got really aggressive. And, and it got, you know, other people were bothered by it. And so some of them went to uh, the camp director and said, man, Stan was out there. And phew, he was intense. And the speaker said, yeah, I, I know. You know, he, he's, he gets intense that way. But you know what? He's a good guy with a good heart. And... He'll, he'll grow, he'll grow, he'll be all right. 
You know, that guy could have hammered me because I deserved it. I mean, after all, I was the camp speaker. But somehow his patience with me, believing that somehow the Lord was gonna work something into my life, it just blessed me. And I wanted to be really good for God and for my buddy too, Keith. Patience has an amazing effect in our lives. It causes people to desire to, to, to grow and become all that the Lord would have them to be. I, I, I've, I've had a little trouble. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I know none of you people have trouble with patience. <laughs> just me. So let's just talk about me for a second. This, is, uh, this has been one of the harder deals for me. You, you know, we all have spots that are hard. I can't hardly stand waiting in a line for a long time. That's why theme parks aren't that exciting to me. Go to Disneyland, wait in line for an hour and a half, ride a ride for a minute and a half. I, I can find something better to do. I mean, that's, it's just kind of torturous in those, in those long lines. And, and I've had to work on patience. I don't get to skip that, mind you, because the Lord calls us all to patience. So I need to grow, and I've grown. But as I look at my life through the years, I, I just remember a couple spots Years ago, when my son Aaron was playing Little League Baseball, we were headed to the park, and in front of me was a car that was stopped at a red light. Just red light, their car, and then we were behind them. The light turns green, the car doesn't move. I wait about five seconds, 10 seconds, and then I just laid on the horn. And when I got on the horn, uh, two ladies turned around and looked at me, and it was uh, Elaine Tennant and Eileen Stein, (laughs) two elders' wives from the church, and they smiled and waved, and I smiled and waved, and I was so relieved that they thought I was saying hello. But I was so convicted when we got to the park, because they were coming to watch Aaron play when we got to the park, I had to confess to him, you know, I was actually honking at you, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have. <laughs> then they laughed, and oh boy, I need to grow. Another time, I, I was at Kmart, right, right here in Tualatin, and um, there was two lines and they were both pretty long and you know, picking the, the right line is, is, is sometimes a difficult uh, task and I got in the wrong line. There, was probably, there were probably 10 people in front of me and um, it took at least, or, or, or around, or it felt like more, but at least 15 minutes. The other line that was the same length went through three times while I'm waiting. You keep thinking, I'll jump over, I'll jump over, but then, you know, well, it's gonna go. There was an older lady who I'd never seen before up front and she was leaving to help a little boy the counter and I was like, hey, hey, I've got somewhere to be and things to do. What are you doing? That's what I was thinking. And and she was so uh, relaxed and casual and I thought, she doesn't understand. People people need to be moving around. I'm going to tell her when I get up there to the front of that line that she just needs to keep this line moving and stop stepping out to get baseball cards for little guys. So I was just about there, and just before I stepped up, I heard a voice say, don't you dare. <laughs> and in retrospect, I'm pretty sure it was the voice of the Lord. So I stepped up, and I didn't say what I was thinking. And that woman said to me immediately as I stepped up, Pastor Stan, I didn't know you shopped here. I just thought, thank you, Jesus, for, <laughs> for speaking to your children. At least I listened. Proverbs 14, 29, patient people have great understanding, but people with quick tempers show their foolishness. God wants me to be patient 
Paul was patient. He wanted Timothy to be patient so we can live a life of impact. So we can have joy in our hearts and enjoy the day and not worry so much about everything and get ourselves riled up. Paul was patient. It was a good example for Timothy. It's a good example for all of us. It's a life of impact when we're patient. Now I'm gonna take the word endurance. There were four words that were mentioned. I'm gonna take the word endurance and speak of it under this category of patience because interestingly enough, that word in the Greek could have been translated patience as well. The first word patience has to do in the Greek with the definition, uh, it has to do with patience with people, which I just spoke of. The second word has to do with patience in trials or circumstances that are difficult. So it's different. It's still patience, but now it's patience to wait, patience to endure, and that was the translation, pretty good translation, enduring, but it's still patience that the Lord wants us to have in these circumstances. And it really means, the definition of this word that's translated endurance, to be patient and courageous in dealing with the hard and difficult things in life. Patient and courageous. Did you know that some of the best witnessing you'll ever do is when you keep your peace and your patience in the midst of a difficult circumstance. I, I believe that a hundred times in my life I've heard someone say about another believer or, or a circumstance, boy, whatever they've got, I want some of that. Because when a hard time came, they had peace. They still trusted the Lord. They still had joy in their heart even though that thing was very difficult. It's a life of impact when you have patience through hard times. I like this line. Maturity in Christ is actively mastering the ups and downs of life. I want to say that again. Maturity in Christ is actually, or rather actively, mastering the ups and downs of life. Patience has to do with a heart that says God is in control. He knows. He loves me. He's going to help me. And you know one of the things I've learned about trials? It's not about just getting through. It's not about God taking your hand and helping you to, to, to make it. God always has a greater purpose in mind when it comes to the trials than just making it. He will build something into your life and into my life. And I'll tell you, it may not sound encouraging to you, but if I have to go through something, it's very encouraging to me that I can get a nugget of truth that will bless me for the rest of my life that I can learn, learn something that'll take me to a higher plane in Christ. And God will use even the hard times to build you up. It's like lifting weights. Did you know if you're gonna lift heavier weight that you have to lift hard and break the muscle structure down, you'll be so sore. But when that muscle reacts to heal itself, it can be built up stronger. And if you keep pressing further and harder weight, then you can take more and more stress on those muscles and eventually you can lift more weight. It's kind of what God does with trials. He, he'll let us be broken down a little bit so he can build us up even stronger as we trust in him. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them doesn't say that everything that happens in our life is good. It, what it means is he'll take the, even the tough circumstances and make those work together for good in the long haul. That's encouraging to me. It's not all about just this hard moment. God will bring something good 
out of something hard. And so I can hope, I can be patient, I can trust in him. Sometimes we can't understand the hard times, but if we're patient and we'll trust the Lord, in the end we'll grow to come and see his goodness and the plan he had in mind all along. Someone told me once, and it's, it's not a Bible thing, but, but it's something that evidently in the psychological um, areas that they've learned that you can't really know what a big trial is about until you're 10 years past it. You can't understand the, the whole thing. Now that's a long time to trust, isn't it? You might see something immediately and I think God will encourage you along the way, but 10 years down the road, you might see a depth that came into your life, a lesson you learned that came into play when something hit again, an example that made you a testimony because you learned once before and God will bless your life as you trust in him even way down the road. How about those times, you know, here's another uh, reason for patient endurance, when you're working hard but you're not seeing results. By the way, let me stop here and say something. And several times while I was preparing for this sermon, I felt the Lord was saying to me that there was someone here. And I said this in first service because I don't know if the person's in first or second. But I felt the Lord told me I was supposed to say this today. That there's someone here that is supposed to let go of something and take hold of something else. And the loss you suffer, you're agonizing over and he wants you to know it's actually his perfect will. Don't agonize over his perfect will, but trust him. He'll lead you to a new place and a better thing. I felt that the Lord wanted me to say that, so I'm trying to be faithful. Now back to my notes here. When, when you've worked hard <clears throat> and you don't see the results that you hope for, maybe say it this way. Why don't the things <clears throat> excuse me, that we work so hard for come about more quickly? Let me illustrate God's truth with this story. Have you ever heard of the Chinese plant? It's a bamboo tree. And the Chinese will plant this bamboo seed and they water and fertilize it, but the first year nothing happens. And then they water and fertilize it in the second year and nothing happens. And they water it and fertilize it in the third year, but nothing happens. And they water and fertilize in the fourth year and nothing happens. Nothing comes above the surface. But then in the fifth year, they water and fertilize and in a six-week period, the bamboo plant grows to be as tall as 90 feet tall. Now here's a question for you. Did that plant grow to be 90 feet tall in six weeks or did it grow to be 90 feet tall in five years? The right answer, of course, it's five years because if you don't water and plant in the first year, it doesn't happen. Or, and if you don't water, fertilize, and plant in the second year, it doesn't happen. If you skip any one of those first four years with the fertilizing water, uh, watering rather, fertilizing and watering, you don't have a bamboo plant that grows to be 90 feet tall in the fifth year. Every year counts. It makes me think of Bible Temple and a pastor that was there. It's not the, the current one, Frank Damasio, but the one before he pastored for 20 years and that church ran um, 100 people. And then between the 20th and the 30 years, 30th year of his ministry there, it exploded to over 3,500 people to be the church that's so impactful that we see today in this area. Who knows why things happen that way? 
Only God knows. But here's the deal. The pastor had to be faithful every year for 20 years before he hit that big spurt in, the, um, in, the, in that 30th, in that last decade. It makes me think of building this building right here. We worked and labored hard for five years. We'd hoped that we could build sooner and nothing had happened. And I wondered where God is, but I wanted to be faithful. You know, what's going on? But in that fifth year, something broke where God used some incredible people to bring about a deal where I'll just say this in a short fashion. It was the Lord who did it, orchestrating his, his will through some key individuals. But we sold land that we bought for 50,000 an acre. We sold it for 400,000 an acre in that fifth year. And essentially, we bought other land for 200,000 an acre. Hope that doesn't get too complex in your mind. But we sold for four, bought for 50, sold for 400, and bought for 200, some other acreage around us, all in one day. And we netted $6 million, which essentially built this building. The Lord showed us when his timing was to build by putting it in our hands. And if you try to go before the Lord's timing, you're just going to get yourself in trouble and everybody else too. We'd have been so far beyond our ability to, to pay for something that we might have torn this thing down instead of built it up as a church. And, and so when it comes to things growing and the, the amount of time and when to go and what to happen, we need patient endurance with the things God has called us to do, not just with ministry, but with business. God blesses Christian businessmen and women with wisdom to know when to do, what to do, and sometimes it's not a short haul, but the long haul that will bring about great productivity and blessing. It takes time to see all that God is doing, but patience, trusting God, brings about the understanding of his plan and, and, and the development of, of all the goodness he had in mind. I like this thought. Many people have turned and left the dock just before their ship came in. Patience with trials. The call that God's given. And ultimately, <clears throat> we can be patient because we know it means something in heaven. There's a reward there. 2 Corinthians 4.16 this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that will vastly outweigh them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So we can be patient. We don't need it to happen now because it's not just reward here we're looking for, but it's the reward that God says he gives in heaven as well. So a life lived patient. Paul was patient with other people. He was patiently enduring, suffering, persecution, planting and watering, and Timothy watched his life and saw great fruit. And he's saying to him, young man, you be patient. And God's saying to us, hey, gang, be patient. Be patient when I give you something to do. Don't pull off too quick because if I've led you that direction, I will bless it. Love people with your patience and patiently wait and see good things happen. Well, and hear this last thing, a life of love. A great way of life is to live your life loving. We see that in verse 10 again. You see love in there, a way of life and love. 
Now this love here is, is not a love that, that, that is spoken of that Paul received, but rather a love that he gave. It's action towards people, helping people in need and reaching out to others. Let me tell you, if you want to be loved, the best way to make sure that happens, love. People who love and give and meet the needs of others and care about people around them are the most loved people on the earth because people sense the love that's coming from them and they reciprocate. I mean, sometimes we go into depression thinking nobody loves me and we're just waiting for people to show up and do something nice. Listen, stop thinking about what they can do for you and get out and do something. That's when you'll feel loved. The joy will come to your heart. You're helping someone. You're caring for someone. Paul knew this and he's telling Timothy, hey, reach out and love with your life. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Now, the list that I'm giving you today in three categories is faith, patience, and love, but it's real close to that list because hope really has to do with patiently waiting for God to come through. I'm hoping, right? Faith, hope, and love, but it says this, the greatest of these is love. So when we come to this last one, let's keep that in mind. The greatest of these is love. Nothing more important than letting the love of God flow through you. But in our culture, love's a really ambiguous word. It means different things to different people, doesn't it? I mean, we use it so many ways. I love ice cream. I love my dog. I love LeBron James. Not if you're in Cleveland, you don't anymore. <clears throat> I love golf. I love Facebook. I love my family. I love Jesus. Boy, we could, there's a gambit of, uh, of you know, a, a, a meter there that, that's uh, low to high priority. But this love that's spoken of in <clears throat> 2 Timothy is speaking of a godly compassion that wells up in our hearts and takes action to bless other people. It's that kind of love. I'm gonna give love to people. Can you think of times that you were loved? I, I sat down and did a little exercise this week and I started writing down just some moments in my life where people have loved me. And I was surprised that so many of them uh, were, were emblazoned in my mind uh, from my youth. This might be a good exercise for you this week to sit down and just write down a bunch of ways that you've been loved in your life. Pe just moments where people loved you by good things they've done. Here's, here's my list that I came up with. I remember when my aunt gave $500 to help me when I was short on the amount of money I needed to continue in college. They told me I couldn't attend. 500 then was like 2,000 now. And though I wanted to go, my education was gonna be stopped short or at least delayed. And my aunt called and said, yeah, I, I just, I'd like to give that to you. She was loving me. I remember another <clears throat> aunt that I had who over and over again would say to me, Stanley, and that's what all my family calls me on the, uh, in my dad's side. Stanley, she'd say, and she, just over and over, she'd say something like this to me. Stanley, you're... You're a smart boy and you can do anything you want to do. Isn't that amazing that I remember that so much? My aunt was loving me. She was believing in me. A friend wrote me when I was a young minister feeling like I wanted to get out of the ministry. I had said to the Lord, God, I, I know you believe in me, but I, I need to know somebody else believes in me because it, it doesn't seem to me that I'm very good at this whole pastor thing. I'm not getting very good results. God, would you show me you believe in me or, or would you show me that someone believes in me? 
The next day, I got a letter from a friend and it just had four words in the message. I believe in you. That's all it said. And then my friend's name. I laid my head on my desk and I cried because it was really God speaking to me. I later asked my friend about it and he had written that just about the same time I had said the prayer and dropped it in the mail really quick. And it came about 70 miles from his city to mine the next day. He was loving me. My mom and dad loved me when I had gone astray and they assured me that God would forgive me and still bless my life. Greatest moment of grace I've ever known came from my parents. When I deserved judgment, they gave me mercy. They were loving me. My sister gave me $200 when I was a 16-year-old basketball player in high school. All the other kids were going to camp and improving their game and I, I didn't have the money. She'd worked at a cannery. And she gave me a week's worth of salary. I said, I want you to have this and I want you to go to that camp. I said, I can't take it. She said, no, I, I want you to have it. She was loving me. An old Indian woman loved me. <clears throat> For a few years, we would go in the summers to an Indian reservation in Arizona. My dad would preach on that reservation. And we had four kids that were all stair-step one year apart. We'd sing uh, as a little quartet when dad would preach. I must have been seven or eight years old. Maybe seven, eight, and nine in those years. There was an old Indian woman who would always hug me and love me. And she would say to me, you're special and God has a plan for your life. Now, why would I remember that lady? I wasn't even around her that much, but she was loving me. And I remember her. An evangelist said to me once, after I preached, that was awesome, God has his hand on your life. He didn't need to say that. I didn't feel that great about what I'd just done, but he was loving me. A friend who knows the pressures of being a pastor of a church and the president of the schools calls me on a regular basis to see how I'm doing. He prays for me and he tells me he believes in me. He does this on an ongoing basis. He's busy, but he's loving me anyway. The elders of this church gave me a sabbatical a few years ago after a long, hard season of building. They were loving me. You know what they were saying to me? We care about you too. We're not just looking for you to give. We want to give to you and bless you. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've been grateful for a church and elders that would love me that much. My wife Karen has believed in me and stood with me in spite of all my flaws and weaknesses. You know, there's probably, there's probably several good things about me. But, but there are times that, that I'm just not that great and I make mistakes and I'm flawed and Karen Russell has blessed me by loving me anyway. When people love us, they give us courage to go on and do the thing that God has called us to do. Now here's the deal. Will we love? Paul was saying to Timothy, You've watched me love. You've watched me give when I didn't want anything in return. 
Now, will you give? Will you let the love of God flow through you to bless others and give? If we do that, lives are changed. I remember reading this passage of scripture. First time I remember reading this passage, I was fairly young. And it says this, second half of the verse, it says, the only thing that counts is, and I remember stopping right there. When you're reading the greatest book of all time, the book that's the inspired word of God, that has more wisdom and profundity than any other book you could ever read, and it says the only thing that really counts is, I remember thinking, what in the world would the Bible say, what is coming next? This is going to be exciting. Here's what it says. The only thing that really counts is faith expressing itself through love. How important is that to God? That our faith would move to a place where it's an action item expressing itself to others. Did you know that people who take action to love others are the happiest people on the earth? It's just the way it works. You end up getting more blessed than, any, than everyone else. When the focus comes off me and it's put on someone else as I'm trying to bless them, joy comes to my heart. It's true for all of us. You may not recognize the name Leanne Tui, but several years ago, she took in a homeless young man, adopted him, a young African-American named Michael Orr. After receiving the love and support from this new family, I mean, they literally adopted him, he eventually became a professional football player. The story later became a book and eventually a movie called The Blind Side. How many of you have seen the movie The Blind Side? Raise your hand. That's a lot. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. There are Christian family and it's spoken of in the movie. It's really an incredible movie. Well, Sandra Bullock who played Leanne Tui in the movie, became good friends with Leanne. And later, because Leanne was on the set on a regular basis as as she helped them understand how the story really went, later, later Sandra Bullock said this about Leanne Tui. She's the first real Christian I've ever met. Wouldn't it be great if more people in Hollywood actually met real Christians? I don't know how, but somehow there's a meter in unbelievers' lives. They know what the love of God looks like when it happens. And Sandra Bullock said, that family has impacted my life. Sandra stayed in contact with Leanne and her family. She became friends. She was so moved by the story, she eventually adopted an African-American baby of her own recently. The Tuies are an encouragement to Sandra. And they stayed close to her. And they've given her love and support, which has been huge the last year of Sandra's life. Because you probably know the rest of the story. Jesse James, her husband, was unfaithful a number of times and it's been completely a public shame for Sandra as she's going through a divorce. But here's the deal. The Tuies are there for Sandra. They're loving her behind the scenes. God help us to be people who love. Love one another, the Bible says, over and over again. Love the unbelievers. Love all of God's creation. 1 John 3.17 says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, 
How can God's love be in that person? When God's love is in us, it will flow through us. Paul wasn't saying, love, I want others to love me. You've seen how I've been loved. Paul was saying to Timothy, you've seen my life, my way of life, and how I have loved others. Now love people. God desires for us to show love, and the interesting thing is, we receive it more when we show it. 1 John 3, 23, and this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us.